Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Brandon Steckler, an instructor and curriculum developer with WorldPack. He's also a contributing editor with Motor Age Magazine and has, hands down, the best pressure waveform class available right now. Brandon has spent the better part of 20 years working in both dealerships and independent repair shops and provides critical advice to technicians looking to turn their J-O-B into a worthwhile career. For shop owners, he brings a technician's perspective from someone that has made it his lifelong goal to never stop learning. Before we begin, if you're on YouTube, please take a moment to hit that like button. It's quick and really helps us out. If you like the content, consider subscribing to the channel. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast listening app, Make sure you're set to automatically download the latest episode so you never miss an upload. And now, here we go. Yesterday and today, I mean, we're like, we're so behind on work. I'm like Lucas behind on work. Oh, that so sucks. I, I mean, I'll, I'll shoot a video and show you that just lines of cars. Are just Yeah, I'm, I am. Do you know how behind I am? I am out of parking spots. You're always that, out of parking spots. That's normal. That's your normal, like, operating. And that's no, not I, me, though. I like, I can't, pay. I like, I like knowing that either everything's being fixed or it has been fixed. So I don't have to stress about it. Like, I don't like stressing about it. I prefer to be like, oh, it's one o'clock. Everything's handled. I'm leaving. Well, look, um, the problem is, is that I'm using everybody else's parking lot, too. I I think we're 42 deep right now. Whatever. Oh, boy. We'll fix them. One at a time. This is what we do, Brandon, by the way. We bitch about our day. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's the other thing about this show is that, like, it's super laid back. Right. Is is we're not trying to make it something it's not. We're not trying to make it like all perfectly rounded and everybody saying the perfect thing that everybody wants to hear. 
right? Sure. It's, it's really just us talking. And and that kind of comes from this concept. And one of the things that we said when we, we kind of started the podcast was, is that one of the best parts of training is sitting around with a bunch of guys who have been through what you're going through right now and realizing you're not alone. Yes, I agree with Re- that. You know, realizing that, hey, somebody else is struggling with a car. Somebody else is struggling with, with something in the shop you know, profitability, whatever it is, everybody struggles. And I think that as, as we do this show, if we don't show that, especially right now with no training happening, there's a lot of people who look at it and say, man, I wish I could be like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They really don't. I promise. (laughs) You know, so. It excites me to see people that are driven. Um, it, it yeah. always, I don't want to use the word intimidated, but it always made me feel like, uh, when I see someone who knows, like, like you building a shop, right. you know, I, I don't know if I'd have the guts to do something like that. So when I see someone like you do something like that, actually carrying it out, it, uh, it impresses me. It, it makes me, you know, it makes me feel like lesser of a person, <laughs> lesser of a, a go-getter, if that makes sense. Well, listen, I'm, I'm just going to put this <laughs> out there. I am not sure if I'm up for it yet either. I'll let you know in a couple months when I don't have any money left. He's out there on a backhoe. What are you talking about? He's out there with a backhoe digging dirt. Listen, he's not there just is like a difference a, between a like when he says building. I don't, I don't know any of the terminology. He's in on some piece of machinery, digging ditches, and he's he's actually laying the dirt out. So when he yeah. says he's building it, he's actually building it. Yeah, because he's too much of a cheap ass to hire professionals. Oh, I don't <laughs> even want to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. Besides, like, I can just kind of have my time away from the shop and, you know, like, like all these times that you go to the bank, David, and all this extra time you spend at the I'm bank. I'm doing but, stuff when I go to the bank. Like, I can't sit on the machine and, like, work the the knobs back and forth. Like, I can't do that. Like, that's not, see, I'd, I'd, I'd go nuts. I would. Oh, man. That's awesome. I'd make it 30 minutes. 30 minutes and then the ADD would kick in and then something would distract me. Like, oh, I got to go do this real quick. And then psh, gone. And, yeah. and that's it. And I'd waste the $7,000 a month or whatever the hell it is you're paying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Brandon. Yes. What's up, man? How you doing? I am doing phenomenal. Thank you. How about you guys? I'm living the dream, buddy. We just bitched for like 10 minutes. What are you, what are you asking us for? Well, I figured you'd be feel better now that you got all that off your chest. No, there's more. Oh, you okay. You're just scratching the surface. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's awful. That's awful. So, um, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been interviewing technicians. And one of the things that, that continually kind of comes up within ASOG and the other groups is it's becoming more and more apparent that there's a divide between shop owners and technicians, right? And and we keep talking about the technician shortage, yet we keep losing technicians to other trades. You know, I was talking to Jeff Compton yesterday, and they've got a Goodyear factory near them, and all of the techs are going to work for Goodyear. They're making more money, and they've got this, like, little tiny toolbox. doesn't have any tools in it. Like, spend 50 bucks on it, you know? And um, so we've had these conversations over and over again, but it doesn't ever seem like anything changes. Nothing ever happens. And so, you know, you've been a technician, you've been a trainer, you've been in all these different shops and all these different perspectives that you have had. 
I was hoping to have you on and talk a little bit about this. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Divide. And where you think it comes from. Well, first I got to say, um, thank you both, Dave and Lucas, for allowing me to come on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity because uh, for me, it no, gives no, me... No platitudes. I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> Well, I, I mean it that uh, I mean the, the opportunity to, to represent the technician and maybe speak for others, you know, across the country or heck, even even the world uh, in similar positions as well as, as shop owners too. You know, I could see it from from that perspective as well. Right. But I think you know ultimately we've we've got to remember that a business is there to be profitable and 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 they have to make money. But I don't think a way to make money should be pardon the expression, being cheap <laughs> with right. your technician's pay. Um, I do think, I know it's been spoken of many, many, many times in the recent past about how we pay technicians, uh, i.e. flat rate. Um, it's just not conducive to the type of work a technician faces nowadays. Um, right. You know, we, we talk about diagnostic work and then we talk about mechanical repairs and heck, even even service um, it's, it's, it's really involved nowadays and, and we have to be extra, extra careful more so than we were in years past because of, of just how delicate and sensitive things are nowadays. So to, to pay a technician on a flat rate scale, I don't think I, I'm trying to be careful how I word this. I don't think it's conducive to good quality work when, when the idea of a paycheck comes from how fast you can crank that work out. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. And, and, you know, so one of the things that always comes up is it's not just money, right? It's, it's not just how we get paid. It's as a whole, you know, is it the equipment in the shop? Is it the training you provide? Is it the culture in the shop? And, and, you know, like with, with my team, I, I was talking the other night, we were talking about how we pay our techs and, and we do have a production bonus system. They, they get paid for 40 hours, right? If they're here 40 hours, they get paid 40 hours. Um, but 
so many people came up and said, well, is that not flat rate? Well, no, because they're not depending on, on hours to get their paycheck. But they were saying, well, you still have the same quality problem, right? Because they're pushing to get work out just so they get more hours. And I said, hold up. In our shop, the culture that we have, these guys look at that car as their child could be riding in it. It's passing their wife or their child on the highway, right? It's not just to them about another car in the door and out the door. That's fine to say, though, Lucas. But the problem is, how do I say this? It's too intangible. Right. And, and so. I understand that. Well, the only way that works, like realistically, the only way that works is if the base salary is is sufficient for the tech. If the tech's happy right. with the base salary. Because right. if they're not, if the only way that they can make a quote unquote good living or they can go to a, an acceptable salary in their mind is that they have to not only meet 40 hours, but they've got to crank out 50 now we have a problem. We're sort of back to it's a roundabout flat rate. Well, and and what if the guy the guy hits thirty hours, but like he's getting paid for forty, but forty's not enough. Like he's looking at it going, if I don't hit fifty hours, I'm not making a good paycheck. Therefore, I'm gonna like Brandon's saying, I'm going to speed up. I'm going to cut corners. I'm going to find a way so I hit fifty hours because that's when I actually start making decent money. And that, you know, that makes sense. And and on top of that, there is another challenge that, that plays into that. And that is the fact that, are you hearing that? No. What, oh, what I'm, are we hearing a, I'm hearing a hum. It's going to drive me nuts. No, it's gone. We're good. Um, <laughs> sorry. Helicopters are coming. That's it. Uh, yeah. No, listen, David, you paid your taxes this month. It's okay. Um, I, I had to pay you. Like, Why did you bring that up? <laughs> I, got, I got my I got my 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 income taxes done. I got uh, my food and um oh so much payroll taxes. So much payroll taxes. <laughs> Poor thing. Um but in all Hey, you know what I ended up doing? Hold on, hold on, because you got you got me on this real quick. You know what I ended up doing? I, I calculated out to like to the flipping penny how much I needed to to withhold for my technicians in order for them to end up with a net zero at the end of the year. Now they might be, I might be off a couple hundred bucks, but I'll pay that a couple hundred bucks at the end of the year. In other words, when they do their taxes, they're going to end up owing nothing and receiving back nothing. That includes the one with a kid. So I like what I have one with two kids. So I, he essentially pays zero in income taxes because by the time they, they he gets his earned income uh, credit for his two kids, he's going to end up, owing nothing but he, he all year long he pays almost nothing in in, uh, in payroll taxes so that's what i ended up doing so everybody got like a bump on their checks and uh and they're like hey what's what's up with my paycheck and i go i recalculated your taxes and they're like oh i'm not gonna owe at the end of the year i'm like maybe a couple hundred but i'll, I'll take care of you on that Don't worry. <laughs> that's all just so i could avoid Paying the mother flipping payroll tax. <laughs> You're awful. Um, <laughs> so, well, I had one tech though. I had one tech specifically. I, I know this is going to go sideways, but uh, well, I had one tech specifically. He goes, I told him, I said, Hey, you got to go meet with a financial planner. Um, I'll, I'll get you set up. And he's like, okay, well, how much do you think I need to put in? I said, well, shoot for 75 a week, 75 a week. By the time he hits like 55 or whatever, he'll be a millionaire. And so, uh, 
And, and that's, you know, looking at whatever, 20 years or average on the return on the, in the market. And so um, I said, shoot for that. And he's like, oh, man, I don't know. I, I, I could probably do 25. I said, I'll tell you what. You do 25 and I'll cover the other 50. And so I wow. gave him a raise. Plus, I, I covered the uh, – I, I slightly he, – he had already been tweaked on his taxes. But I did a tiny tweak on tax, taxes to, to make up about 15 bucks. The rest of it I just gave him a raise on. Plus, he was going to turn into 25. So you can start putting 50, 75 bucks a week. And now they're sending me the paperwork, so it's it's automatic. They don't even see the money come That's out of their great. paychecks. It just goes into the into specifically a Roth IRA, which is post taxes. So it's going to be free money for them, you know, unless unless things go really sideways in the country and they're like, we're going to start taxing Roth IRAs. But um, it, that money is going to be free for them when they go to pull it out. Uh, That's you awesome. know, in their fifties. That's well, great. And you know, we we brought a financial advisor in for all of them and and had them meet with him. Um, and so that's, that's something that we've worked on, especially with Bridget, because, you know, I keep looking back thinking if I had thought about oh, where yeah. I wanted to be in 15 years, yeah, I'd be in a whole lot better shape right now. If I yeah. hadn't just spent all that money. It'd be sitting on six figures. If all of them had my oldest yeah. text 35, but right. if he, if like 10 years ago, he had decided, Hey, I'm going to do this for just 75 bucks a week. I pay them weekly, but it's 75 bucks a week. 10 years later, they're sitting on close to six figures. Or six figures, depending on how the market's doing. Right. I mean, that's a chunk of money. Yeah. And then it just grows from there. So even if they had to stop at some point and they couldn't keep putting in the 75 a week. Well, and, and here's the thing is that, that you know, we talked about, to, to kind of jump back into the episode, we talked about that in previous episodes that, you know, you can only do this for so long as actually turning wrenches. And if you're going to work at a shop that you don't have that opportunity to have something that protects you when it's all over and done. And, and, you know, one of the things that when talking to the financial advisor, I think that was wild to all of them, he told a bunch of stories about people who thought they had another 10 years, thought they had another 15 years, thought they had another 20 years and something happened. And it was really interesting to see their reaction to that. Because you don't know how much time you've got left, you know, and, and you don't know if you end up on disability, man, that's a tough one, right? If you don't have disability insurance, that's a, that's a tough road to hoe. And so I think it's really important as shops that we're trying to at least offer those, those types of packages. And we're talking to the techs because, you know, they may not see that, especially your younger techs. Right. They just see that money coming in and they live paycheck to paycheck. Man, that that's a really fast way to end up in a, in a tight spot later on in life. Well, let, let them pay the work. And it, it, it depends on the person. Like, it's, I'm going to spend whatever I got in the bank account kind of guy. That's, I, I manage my money terribly. But so you put in systems, you put in some way, some mechanism to remove yourself from the equation. And that was the purpose. It's let's not even let you spend the extra money. Right. Let's set it up so you don't even see it. And it gets sloughed off into an account you have absolutely no access to. And it'll just accumulate. You won't yeah. even notice it. And most of the time, that's the idea is, is make it a dollar amount that is significant enough for it to grow, but not enough that they'll notice it and go, man, I, I'm, I wish I had that extra 75 bucks. Yeah. Right. Or whatever the dollar happens to be. 
I wonder how many shops offer something like that. A bunch of them do. But the the thing is like they set it up as a as a 401k which is fine, but at least with an IRA one it's a Roth IRA so it's post tax money. So when the they go to retire they're not all of a sudden getting hit with income tax. Right. And then two, an IRA gives you a ton of flexibility on uh, you know, the type of products you can buy. Now, within the shop, if you're trying to save money, you can set up a simple IRA. We talked to Hunt about this. Yeah, and then if I you have that. to start socking away a ton of money, then you go to the 401k. Um, but again, the, uh, the idea is the small shop, the the shop to, that just needs something for their technicians to set them up. Because the idea is like, I want to keep this person around for 10, 15, 20 years. So not just to use and abuse them, but how do I, you know, set something up for them so that they're taken care of at the end of their lives or at the end of their career when they can't, their bodies just cannot handle the workload any longer. Right. And and we just set something up like that. Uh, uh, we're going to do a simple IRA for our guys. So that's the direction we're going. Yeah, but you don't have to, that's, that's my point. You don't have to do a simple IRA. You don't have to do jack. You just have to send them to the guy like, Hey, go set up the account and then come back with the paperwork and I'll do the rest. And then, you know, you just have to decide on the dollar amount, which is why I started tweaking the taxes because most of the time, everybody looks at it as a payday when tax time comes, which is just an absurd thing. You've been given the government, whatever thousand dollars, 1500, $3,000, $5,000 of extra money. They paid you no interest on that. And they, you see it as a gift that you're getting your own money back. No. We have, we have an anti-tax culture at our shop. <laughs> so, Brandon, you see what we do half the time we have a podcast. Um, so, where were we? What were we talking flat about? Flat rate. Brandon does not like flat rate. Well. Um, and did the shop owners, look, we, we had this conversation at ASOG. There was a bunch of shop owners that chimed in, and and really, this tends to go one way or the other. Everybody starts piling on uh, against flat rate, or they start piling on for flat rate. I hadn't seen the for flat rate thing because those guys tend to stay silent. They don't they don't say anything, and the guys that are anti flat rate, they start talking about how it takes advantage of the technician, and that's why we're driving away technicians. All the arguments that everybody makes against flat rate. Well, we just had a conversation about it on uh, in ASOG about the flat rate, and the four flat rate guys started actually speaking up. And one guy in particular, we're going to have him on the podcast. Uh, I think his name's Cal Cal Baker, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he he owns two or three shops. He said something like, "What do you say? Forty years in the yeah. industry." Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, "I've got the receipts. I've got years of of numbers to show." how effective flat rate works and how good it is. Mm-hmm. I, I think my opinion, because I've been there and done that. Actually, I was flat rate most of my career uh, in a situation where a tech is healthy, limber, intelligent, and, um, and, and uh, hungry. I'll use that terminology. Wants to work, strong work ethic. I think flat rate is a phenomenal way to pay a technician because the technician actually benefits. Um, 
when there's plenty of work. Let me give you for instance. I worked for a dealership um, years ago, and it was a very small dealership. There was only four uh, technicians at one point in time. We actually had five, but typically we had four technicians for the entire facility. And uh, all of us, all of us would, would easily do 85 to 100 hours a week. And uh, one of our technicians um, was in, insanely fast. And um, gentlemen, I'm, I'm being honest when I tell you he had well over 150 hours in a 40-hour work week on many many weeks, many occasions. That's crazy. Um, and believe me, this guy was lightning fast. And we've all heard that adage, you know, the right way, the wrong way, and the flat right way. Um, understand that these there are shortcuts that I see people take. And then I myself have taken them. Um, not necessarily make the job done the right way, but certainly done safely. And um, whether you agree with that or not, that's that's the way it is typically when, when, when technicians work flat rate. Not all of them. I don't want to upset anybody. But um, you can be very profitable as a flat rate technician if the work is there. The downside is this, guys. When, when I was at that same dealership and we had just one of those weeks, you guys know the weeks, uh, where just nobody comes in. There was a bad storm, uh, back to school. You know, you guys know it's, or it's, it's near Christmas yeah. time and, and things just right. die off. Um, those same shop owners and those same, uh, managers and, and upper management will, will frequently say, now, listen, you guys made a lot of money this year. I don't know why you're whining about one week. Um, you know, me as a flat rate technician, I said, Hey pal, you know, not for nothing. I was here at six 30 this morning. I stood around, uh, playing with my thumbs all day long for nothing. Um, you know, there's got to be a way we can, this is two, three days in a row now with no pay, virtually no pay. Um, I've got a, you know, a half hour drive one way. I, I jump on the turnpike. It costs me, you know, $20, $25 a day just to get here. You know, I have an investment just to get to work. Um, I expect to be paid. Your job is to get the work in the shop. My job is to get the work done. Right. You don't like it when I don't do my job. So I, I don't care for it when they don't do there. So again, I'm rambling here and I'm sorry, but um, flat no, rate, I think, can be perfect. extremely profitable if it's set up properly. If we can get the technicians to bet, get fast, not because they're rushing around, get fast because they're fluent, because they have the experience of doing the job correctly. They know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Over and over again. It's not even like you're, you're absolutely right. So the, the, pro flat right guys talk about how that's critical you have to be very busy and you have to have the right systems in place to ensure that the technicians are well compensated for for the time that they put in so the tickets that they're getting are profitable for the technician does that make sense they're oh, sure. in other words they're not going to get hosed on a obvious six-hour job and they're only going to get paid 3.2 because the the service advisor can't sell the work uh, or there's constant discounting happening, um, so that's what they, they point to that. But a lot of these smaller shops, that's not what they're being told. I remember my very first coaching company. You know, I, I had a conversation about them, going, "Hey, we have peaks and valleys, and we're a small shop. You know, I've just got my first tech or my second tech or whatever, and I'm the service advisor, and I'm telling the coach." You know, there's sometimes I don't, I worry about meeting payroll because 
you know, we're not, we're not busy for an extended period of time. And the quick answer was, oh, just make them all flat rate. And that way when the shop's slow, I mean, you don't have to worry about payroll because you're only paying them for what they get done. And if there's no work, there's no work. This was a, a large coaching company telling a small, completely inexperienced shop owner, you know, trying to find their way in this industry. That's what they were telling me. This was several years ago, but that's what they were telling me. And I'm, I guarantee you that the same companies telling these other shops, the same thing. And a whole bunch of other coaching companies are telling these shops the exact same thing. Hey, I know it's slow. So make everybody flat rates. So you don't have to worry about payroll. Well, I just think that in my opinion, being a technician, uh, that really hurts because, you know, we typically technicians go out of their way to work hard, not only for themselves, but they're proud to represent their company and, and they're proud to have customers that come see them deliberately. You know, they represent the right. company and they wear that on, on their chest proudly. And and to have a to have this outside company come in and strategically tell you, the shop owner, you can make more money by cutting somebody else's throat. I just think that's you know, I, I know that's business, but I just don't think that's the right way. That's the easy way, sure, but that's not the right way, right. in my opinion, to handle on things. Yeah. Well, and it, it goes back to that transactional versus relational model concept, right? And, and well, I'm, always, I'm, they weren't pushing the transactional model. Well, they I, weren't I pushing the transactional that. model at all. The, what they were that. trying but, to but do you, is like, this is how you save money. I, make I them flat get rate. that, but in, in one way or another, it becomes transactional. Right. It, it's a transactional concept because you're looking at at dollar bills before you look at a human being. Right. You're not looking at your staff and saying, I care about these people. I want what's best for them. I want to take care of them. Here's what I have to do to make that happen. You're not doing that. You're you're focusing on the dollar bills. And and I think that you know I think though when you're in that situation, it's not even about the person. It's not because you want to do right by your tax. Most shop owners do. I, I think the majority of them want to do right by them to a certain degree. I certainly didn't want to lose my tax, but at the same time, like I didn't have the money to pay them. So I was sort of stuck. I mean, I want to do what's fair, but there's no money in the bank account. Like, what do you do? So that was their solution rather than taking a step back and saying, look, Let's try to figure this out. What does your marketing look like? You know, what's your phone conversion look like? You know, what what steps are you taking here to ensure that this doesn't happen, that you don't have peaks and valleys or huge swings? You're going to have some, but you're not going to have huge swings. There are a thousand other factors to look at, but that's not quick and easy. The quick solution right. is just make them flat rate. Right. So, I mean, you know, you and I talked the other day, David, about the cycle, right? And And how this keeps happening over and over again. Tell Brandon what you were telling me. Yeah, so Brandon, I, I was just telling him, and, and I'd like your thought on this. In my view, this what ends up happening is you have a technician, a great technician, gets upset with the shop that they're in. They think, I can do this better, or I can make more money if I do this all for myself. So what do they do? They leave. They open up their own shop. And they're usually cheaper because they don't have less overhead. They don't have any employees, this, that, and the other, whatever. They get flooded with vehicles. And they're struggling. They're struggling to keep up or they don't have any vehicles. They don't know what to do. They're freaking out. And what do they do? They turn to one of these coaching companies, one of these coaching companies, consultation companies, whatever you want to call it. Not all of them. I'm not trying to disparage coaching. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But a lot of them will push flat rate as being the answer. And they say, hey, you, you're not profitable right now. We know how to make you profitable. 
You just have to follow the system. That system ends up including either some type of hourly plus heavy, heavy bonuses or flat rate, just flat out flat rate. And they, they give you some kind of marketing tactic. And what, what ends up happening is the shop ends up getting busy, becomes very profitable. The shop owner now sees this as the way to get rich essentially, or at least be well off. And so what do they do? They turn, they do start doing everything that they hated (laughs) about the shop that they left in the first place, because now they just want to pay the bills and now they want to provide for their family. They just want the business to be successful. And they sometimes forget about what led them to even opening the shop up to begin with. So what ends up happening is their best technician gets upset with them, leaves, starts their own shop. And then we start all over. Yeah. It's like a cycle, terrible cycle. I have felt that way myself and um, probably the better part of, oh, it had to be at least 10 years ago now because my little one was still in mommy's tummy. Uh, I decided to do some moonlighting for some extra cash and I realized very quickly, you know, when you're not, <laughs> you're not doing it properly and, and you're, you're not adequately paying Uncle Sam, uh, that money stacks up real quick. So I had it in my head. I was, you know, going to work hard enough to use that money and invest in myself and and open maybe a small one bay facility somewhere with a lift and and do things the right way and and grow it to the point where maybe I can afford a bigger area and, you know, try and do it that way. But uh, at the time I was not, nor do I still consider myself a a business savvy person. I I have a lot of work. I, I know what I'm missing. I just have to do it. But, um, no, I, I would, I had that sense that, you know, maybe I can do things better or at least more profitable for myself by doing it that way. Um, I've worked for, I don't want to deviate too far off topic. I've worked for many, many different places and it's a little bit embarrassing to say, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I, I chalk it up to good experience, um, about 20 places in my, in my short 20, 22 years of doing this. Uh, some places were repeat as I left and came back because I moved out of state and then, and then moved back. But, um, I learned a lot, um, about myself, about what I want, but probably more importantly, what I don't want in a shop that I'm working with. And, um, I realized there's, there's many ways to pay a technician. Like you said, there's, there's hourly, there's, there's heavy bonuses. I've worked where I've made very mediocre hourly rate but at the same time, in, in a single week, I could earn an additional 420 additional dollars on top of my paycheck. So tremendous bonuses if you achieve a certain amount of, of, of work finalized. Um, flat rate, of course. And um, I have never worked at a place where I got a monthly bonus, but I know some technicians that have or, or a bonus on parts and labor, total parts and labor. But... Um, Good Lord, Dave. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Deviated so far. What was your question again? <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Uh, I was uh, asking your opinion on the on the cycle. The the oh, the, yes. They get moved into a shop and then they get upset. But you know what? What have you seen as the what have you seen as the ideal way, in your opinion, of paying a technician? Here's where I see things go wrong is when a technician, whether the complaint is legitimate or just sour grapes, 
approaches a shop owner or a manager, I guess it depends upon the position, how big the shop is, um, about their dislike of how they're being paid or how much money they're actually bringing home. Rather than the two of them sitting down and talking about a way that this technician can potentially earn more income, um, things get ugly quick, you know, where if, if I don't, I, I want to raise, um, and if I don't get a raise, I'm going to leave or, or the shop owner says, um, I'm not going to give you a raise unless you, you know, unless you do this. Um, I think rather than having ultimatums and things set, I think a, a good, a good, slow, quiet conversation, um, is the best way to go about doing it because, you know, ultimately nobody expects to make more money without doing any additional whether it's workload or, or more performance, better performance, there's got to be a trade-off. Um, let's discuss those. Let's discuss what what the potential, what my potential is to earn more income. How I can go about heading in the right direction to do that. Can can we set goals? Can we talk about setting goals? Whether the goal is attaining a certain certification or or maybe something performance related, like uh, implementing a quote unquote fixed right the first time survey. Um, I think so, that's so talk about that expand on that a little bit because you had posted something in one of the, I don't know which group it was. It was one of the Facebook groups. You posted something about, uh, if you expect to, and I can't remember the wording exactly. And it was, it was essentially saying that if you're not increasing your pay to your technicians based on their knowledge, as they increase their knowledge, their pay should increase as well. And if yes. you're not doing that, you're going to lose technicians. That's why you have trouble finding technicians. Talk about that a little bit. Right. I, I What I said was, and I, I just pulled it up right here. I said, if you want to retain great technical and loyal staff, as an automotive technician gains experience and becomes a better diagnostic tech, I feel at least, it's reasonable that his or her pay should increase commensurate with accuracy and productivity. So, what I'm getting at is this. Um, I have been in facilities where um, I was, I never was handed an official title or was, was talked about this, uh, but I was basically put in a position to be the, the diagnostic tech or, or the guy, the go-to guy. I don't want to say shop foreman, but the go-to guy when, when there was a technical information issue something was missing there was a lack of understanding somewhere or we're on strike two or strike three of this attempted repair and they want me to get involved um i did my best to help everybody maybe not just fix the car and get it out but maybe help the technician that was struggling with it to understand so as a a result of being able to do that for a couple years at this specific shot i i was very very satisfied with my with my hourly pay now i was paid flat rate however I was paid such a high rate, such a high dollar amount per hour. Um, 40 hours a week was more than enough. So this, this shop owner, and I, I will never say his name. I don't want to put him on the spot, was, was extremely, extremely generous. But at the same time, he was a really tough old bird, and he had expectations of me. And uh, believe me, if I let him down in any way, shape, or form, I was, I was sure to find out about it very, very quick. But um, we had an understanding and and my understanding was that I was to do this to help prevent bottlenecks in the shop, and he he definitely made it worthwhile for me. You know, um, I could then earn when I was busy uh, doing I'll call it mainline work, and and everybody seemed to have all their ducks in a row, and nobody was having any hiccups. 
I could stay moving and earn additional money because now I was producing in the work bay. So um, being able to pay me more money, did that cost Mr. Shop Owner a little bit more profit out of his pocket? Sure. But at the same time, we weren't spending two or three days on a car with eight or nine hundred dollars worth of parts invested and it didn't fix the car. Right. Right. Um, in other situations, um, I, I was at shops where um, dealer, dealerships where the fixed right, the first right, first time score was was kept uh, track of. And if you were above 85 percent, I believe it was, you, you got a bonus. And if you drop below 85 percent, um, you lost that bonus. Now, that works great, too. However, we have to have a something written to define what fixed right the first time is. I'll give you guys right. a for instance. Yep. Uh, Lucas, you pull a car in and diagnose it as a bad uh, audio unit. However, the component is order by VIN only. So you order the you order the parts. The lady leaves. She comes back on Wednesday. You're not available, so I replace the radio. I do a perfect job. I fix the car right on my first attempt. However, when the survey comes in the mail, was it fixed right on the first visit? Absolutely not. I had to come back. Well, in situations like that, that technician would have lost his bonus. So I think simple things, just little discussions and getting things down on paper, ideas insane, on paper though. can really help. Technicality like that? Yeah. But I, it, for the longest time, I was missing my bonus. I said, I don't understand what's going on. I did some research and found out, you know, month after month after that month. sounds like was, a dealership. It was. was and, and we got it ironed out. We did. We got it ironed out. It was an oversight. Are dealerships ruining the industry? Uh, my opinion? Yeah. I I don't believe so. I think there's great things that come out of a dealership as well as bad things. And if you give me a moment to elaborate, um, here's the great things. It's structured learning in most scenarios, especially nowadays. Uh, things are a lot different than they were in the 70s. You know what I mean? Where menus were a la carte. Come in and choose what parts you want. You know, do you want an oil change? Do you want an air filter added to that? You want fries with that? You know what I mean? I think those days are pretty much gone. Everybody is on a set maintenance schedule um, for starters. Uh, two, I think most dealerships, technical staff are certified in some way, shape, or form. Do we have the green guy, the the young male or female, just out of high school or perhaps still in high school working part-time, changing oil and and learning the ropes, learning how to set a lift properly, learning how to manipulate the tools that they have and, and how to properly research uh, fluids and, and, and specifications and things like that. Sure. You know, are they certified? Likely not, but maybe in, in time they will be, hopefully. Um, I think the dealership, I think... Well, at least speaking from my experience, having both dealership and independent side experience, the dealership set me on a path for learning because I got used to having to take classes and having to do research and what we call self-studies on the computer, these automated classes and tests. Um, it just became a part of ordinary life for me. So it, it set the stage on what it takes to stay up to date on training. Here's the downside. Working at the dealership, uh, specifically starting my career at the dealership, I became accustomed to how things worked at the dealership. In other words, uh, when I saw an ignition system, once I became familiar with how an ignition system worked, I assumed they all worked the same way because, hey, that's how it works. And surely you gentlemen, 
are probably giggling when, when you found out I left the dealership and went to the independent world. And that badge on the hood, that hood emblem on the front of the car that I was so familiar with suddenly replaced with something different like Saab <laughs> or Volvo or BMW. Um, my world changed drastically. And uh, it was it was an awakening for me how little I actually knew about cars, although I've been working on them for, for eight to 10 years at that time and doing successful uh, work at the dealership. I was, I was doing very well at the dealership, but still I didn't know my rear end from a hole in the ground when it came to other vehicles outside of that dealership. So I don't think they're ruining. I don't think they're ruining the, the industry. I, I think in some ways are helping the industry uh, because of how, how stringent things tend to be at the dealership. Um, I think it gives us in the independent side something to strive for as far as attaining correct tools. Um, I don't know. I really don't know how to word it. I, I really don't think they're ruining the industry, though. So here's my my technician's experience at the dealership. I've, I've had two technicians come from dealerships. Both of them had very similar experiences. One of them got stuck on the lube rack. He was in three years. Very smart technician, excellent technician, a little sketchy on the work ethic, but (laughs) he was very, very good, very talented, stuck on the lube rack. This dealership was first come, first serve. In other words, you're not going to get into the mainline work. You're not going to be able to do diagnostic work. You're not going to be able to do jack until one of the other technicians retires or there's more room or we expand or whatever. He was in three years and kept asking. So can I keep testing? Can I do this? Can I do that? They're like, yeah, sure. But we can't guarantee you a job as a tech. So they're still paying him as a lube tech and he has to work lube tech hours. The oldest or the longest tenured lube tech at that dealership had been in for eight years. That's when I recruited him away. He's like, I'm never going to get a chance. And he was working on the line of vehicle that he wanted, that he knew best. He wanted to work on this kind of vehicle. He, he liked this kind of vehicle. He wanted to become proficient at it. I want to become an expert at this kind of vehicle. That's why I went to go work at that dealership. But he didn't see a pathway. There was no pathway for him. The, my other technician, he still works for me right now, was at the dealership almost uh, 10 years, I think. Same situation. The difference, though, at this dealership is that they, were, con- they continued to pay him as loop tech, but because they were so overwhelmed with warranty work, they had him doing warranty work. At lube tech pay. That's and so terrible. where the technician, the, the quote unquote, the actual tech was getting 50% more per hour. He was expected to do the same work at a cheaper rate because he wasn't quote unquote a tech. He was stuck as a lube tech. So he asked to do the, the, the testing. He took some testing, but the, it got to the point where I got to go to, to the school or whatever, the actual training facility. Like they've got to send them away. Right, really invest they in had him now. No, what's that? Really invest in him now. Well, yeah, now they have to actually send him because at that point, now they can make him a quote-unquote official tech. Now, he's already been doing all the work. What incentive do you think that dealership had to do that? We have you doing pretty much all the work that a technician has to do because that's what we're doing most of the day is warranty work. And so, we're, but I'm going to save the money. Like, it doesn't make any sense for me to go to send you to the school. He waited. He was loyal. So one of the reasons I hired him is because I saw his loyalty, but he stuck by them, but they kept stringing them along, stringing them along, stringing them along. I've got stories like that for days. 
Where these technicians are getting absolutely burned. They're coming straight out of school and they either make it or they're gone. 25 hours within six months or nine months. If you're not flagging that, you're gone. This is straight out of tech school. That's That's what they tell them as they come in. If you're not flagged, we'll give you a guarantee. But if you're not flagging 25 hours within six months or nine months, you're gone. So if they're not making it for whatever reason, and some of these guys that I know, for, I, I know them from my when I went through tech school. Some of these guys were were decent techs. They were smart guys, maybe just a little slow on you know proficiency or you know just how to be efficient around the bay and how to grab the right tools and maybe a service card or whatever, like just things like that. They just didn't know because it takes time and experience, and so they got burned on that. Or the the green guy that comes in and like nobody will teach him the faster way to do that job. Why? Why would they? Like they don't have time. They're on flat rate too. They're not even taking their lunches. You know, that's just lost money for them. So why would they do that? Why would they take the time to, to, to mentor that person? And then the dealerships that are actually taking, uh, younger techs and pairing them with older technicians. I don't know how many people I've interviewed telling me that, yeah, so I got paired with somebody because I've got to spend X amount of, uh, uh, hours with somebody else, a more senior technician to, in order to become, uh, or be able to be left on my own. So yeah, I've got to put in the time. So I've got to be mentored, right? This person was just phoning it in. They didn't care. They didn't want to be the mentors. Like, I don't want to be anywhere around you. I don't want to have to teach you. I don't want to have to babysit you. I'm just going to scream at you and any screw up is going to be your fault. And that's how they were treated. That's absolutely how they were treated. And then when COVID hit, who do you think was the first one to get cut? It wasn't the senior guy. It was a low man who had been screw quote unquote screwing up this whole time because that's what he got, got reported to, to management. And now he's looking for a job. It's insane. And then what, what ends up happening is that guy can't find a, find a job. So he goes to become a, an HVAC technician or a plumber or some garbage like and that. Probably and we lose somebody money. else in the industry. That's the shame of it all, Dave. It's, it's, not, it's, it's as terrible as that is to happen to anybody who's willing to try. It's these same people that we're crying about that we, we are lacking, that it's getting dangerously low, that we're chasing off. For, for situations like that. And I mean, I really think a lot of these, these dealership personnel, or maybe not even dealership only, but I mean, in situations like that, when, when they can't see past productivity for one week, you know, I think that's insane. Yeah. And it's yeah. those people who probably have guaranteed positions and, and, and really solid pay. You know, I, I would like to throw something out there real quick, if you gentlemen wouldn't mind. Go for it, I, I recently spoke with a technician friend of mine who is the shop foreman at a dealership uh, local to me, and the guy makes excellent money. He makes six figures, but if you knew what this guy did and for how long he's been doing it for this dealership, um, you'd agree um, that he's worth every single penny. The guy was at this dealership, this one dealership for over 25 years. He is a master diagnostician certified through the OE um, on on every repair, every maintenance, every car, every system, um, knows it inside and out, um, is the shop foreman, the lead tech, and he has his shop. He even calls it his shop. He has his shop structured, whereas he doesn't have to work on cars for a living. His job is to make sure everybody 
is on board and doing well and, and progressing and learning. So not only does he get his guaranteed pay to show up and do a good job and be the leader he's capable of being that everybody loves, everybody loves this guy from upper management all the way down to the new technician, the service advisors, the customer, everybody loves him. Um, he also gets paid a bonus on shop productivity as well as they don't call it fix it right the first time scores, but things of that nature. And how do you want to guess? Do you want to guess how well that shop is doing? Probably pretty well. Insanely well from every aspect. Everybody is happy. That shop is the shop anyone would be absolutely, absolutely blessed to, to work at. Everyone's happy. Everyone's smiling. The place is immaculate. You can eat off every surface in that shop. Uh, matter of fact, he even walks around in a polo, slacks, and dress shoes. Well, steel tip, nice shoes though. Right, right. And and right. And, he, and you know that that brings that brings up kind of some of the next thoughts that I had was as a whole, we need a dose of professionalism, especially in the independents. Right. The the dealerships bring and, and you know, that's what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you get on this here, just real quick. Is that is that dealership is that part of a larger dealership group? Um it's not the biggest I've seen, but it's it's larger. It is not a single facility, if if that's okay. what you're asking. It's yeah. got multiple locations. But they got okay. that big for a reason, you know? They yeah. run all their locations like that now. Sorry, Lucas. Professionalism, go ahead. Well, so, you know, I, I think we need a dose of professionalism, right? And and we were talking a few minutes ago the, about the conversation that I was having with Jeff yesterday and really talking about the way that, that the manufacturers view their dealership is an extension of the experience that that client has when they purchase a car. And I know a lot of independent shops that do that, but I also know a lot of independent shops that don't do that. Right. And we do things differently in my shop. And, and it's every single day that I hear from a client. I have never had an experience like this. And I'm, I'm always like, uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, like what part of your experience are we talking about? Um, and, and so I think that we definitely can learn something from the professionalism level that we see in many dealerships, the cleanliness, the, the way they handle the clients. And I think for the most part, a lot of shops within our group are really hitting high marks there, right? I, I really do. I think we're doing a good job. But I think there's things that we can learn from that dealership model. Now, you said something that, that you guys were talking about, and I'm sitting here thinking about this. You both know that I'm big in apprenticeships. I think they're really important. And the reason it's so important to me is, is you know, some of the best times in my life or when I was a young man, I was working with my dad, my uncle, and and other family members working on cars, right? That's how I fell in love with turning wrenches. It's it's where it started for me. And I think more and more folks don't get that opportunity today. But so many shop owners look at these apprentices and they say, hey, you know, I need you to come out of high school and I need you to be a productive employee now. Right. It's not going to happen. Definitely not realistic. Be realistic about this. And, and so they say, well, the schools aren't doing a good job because this guy came in, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. You know, and I think it was Matt, we were talking to who said the ASC master level certification was a base level proficiency. It's not a, you know, that that's not the end all be all, 
yet it takes years to get to that level of proficiency. And, and I keep talking to shop owners who expect to hire a kid right out of high school and have a guy that's building 40 hours a week. It's not realistic. We've got to raise them up. And that's one of the areas you, you either get a good dealership or a bad dealership. Agreed. So I, I think that's one of the ways that we can really learn from them because they have programs in place. We talk about Toyota all the time, Toyota and the T10 program, the whole nine yards. Listen, Toyota's got it figured out. They've got a system that works. They know how to bring someone new in and train them up and make them a great technician. I think we need to learn from the dealership model. I don't think we need to to go to the extent they do in some cases. And, and listen, I know a lot of very unhappy dealer technicians. I know a lot of guys who are trying to get out of the dealership right now. I know a lot of guys who have come to work for me from the dealership that never cared to learn beyond that vehicle they were working on right now. Right. And, and, and for instance, one of them, uh, was when the Ford, I think it was the door hinge or door latch recall happened. And he's like, look, I, I, I just want to do door, door latches. <laughs> That's not even, is that a thing? He's like, yeah. He's like, all I did at the dealership was door latches. They call for like six hours. I can get them done in 40 minutes. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen here. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you expect. <laughs> but, you know, it's a common thing for them to to kind of get tunnel vision in the direction they're going. Um, how can we how can we find the best part of the dealership and bring it into an independent shop? Like, where do we go from here towards that next level of professionalism for a technician? You know, where's that professionalism start at, Brandon? Well, um, I'm not sure where a shop owner might find information like that unless he or she experiences it themselves or at least witnesses it um, or other than listening to this show. That's um, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's basically common sense. Now, I look at it like this. As a shop owner, you have to know, and Lucas, you're, you're just getting started in this, in this venture of yours. You have to know day in and day out, you're, you're renting that backhoe for $700 a day just to dig in the mud um, right. you're realizing that this is definitely not profitable right now. This is an investment, a large investment of money. Yep. So I can't think of a shop owner that, at least none that I know, that have walked into a, decided they were going to open up shop, buy a buy a, uh, a building or, or at least rent or lease a building on a property and, and start a business and expect to be profitable from day one. Um, that's That's insane. How can you expect a young technician fresh out of school to do anything but cost you money right um for a long time um heck we even if he he or she completes an oil change in a reasonable amount of time uh we know oil changes are not typically very lucrative if at all it's a necessary thing that we have to do to maintain our customers vehicle and and keep them coming back to us however um even if this this young technician is doing oil changes and, and very minor services uh, fluently without many mistakes, he or she's still not going to be generating a lot of profit in that bay where uh, an experienced tech would be. How can we expect that person to be profitable with no experience? We have to invest. We have to look at that as, as maybe this technician is not going to be a money maker. It's going to actually cost us money for a while, but you know what? We're going to grow our own. We're going to invest in him and her. Keep the technician happy, 
and allow them to gain experience here comfortably at our facility. So at one point in time, um, they're no longer going to cost money. They're going to generate money and, and be happy doing it. So <laughs> this came up the other day within ASOG and I couldn't, I actually believe that I was reading it. Right. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, and, and I didn't realize that people actually thought this, but one of the interesting things that has come up from time to time and, and we talk about it often, I'd never heard somebody who actually believed it. They said, I'm not sending my people to training and paying for it because what if they leave and go somewhere else? It's just going to help the next guy down the street. Why should I help this technician? Why should I try and grow this person from the ground up? I mean, what's your reason, Brandon? You've done, you've done so much, right? You, you, dude, I don't know if you remember this years ago, I asked Jim Morton a question and Jim said, there's only one person in the country that I know who has that answer. And I said, who's that? And he said, it's Brandon. You need to call Brandon. Here's his telephone number calling. I'm like, dude, this guy's writing articles and all kinds of stuff. He's never going to answer me. And I send you a text message. You're like, yeah, I've got a minute to talk. What's up? And I was like, hold up. Wait a minute here. <laughs> Let me make sure we're on the same page. And, and you gave me an answer and it was the correct answer. And it gave me tons of perspective. And I learned something completely new. But you've invested in our industry over and over and over again right? Like no BS. Thank you. We all appreciate it more than you know. Oh man, <laughs> but, no, it's my pleasure. But, but so my question for you is why? Well, um, this is not me speaking right now. I heard somebody say this and of course I'm going to paraphrase here, but, but just the way that question was worded, what if I, what if I invest in a technician, I spend all this time and money and energy on this guy or this girl and they leave? And I think a better question is, what if you don't invest in them and they stay? Right. How much money are you going to make then if they're not educated and they're not, they don't have the right tools or worse, they, they can't make the money to buy the tools. And if they don't have the tools, they can't do the work. So um, can you, can you state that question just one more time for me, Lucas, please? Yeah. So what, why is it that you have invested so heavily? in training the next generation? Why is it so important that we train the next generation and how can we train them? How can we invest our money in training these people okay. knowing they may leave tomorrow? Gotcha. I know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, I've been doing this, working on cars now, only about 22 years. I can tell you with confidence that the first eight to 10 years of my career wasn't a total loss. I do want to say it was a tremendous waste of time. Um, I didn't realize my potential then, and I didn't know how my mind worked, how I retained information. And I was spending my time and energy studying information the way it was taught to me in school. Learn this so you can pass a test. And I would learn it. I was, Lucas, I was always very book smart. I was, I got straight A's almost my entire life. Um, so I could pass any test. That was not a problem. The problem is retaining it so it became applicable. I wasn't learning the right way. Right. And um, I was just learning to pass a test, but it didn't actually click and make sense. I could just repeat it verbatim. Um, I wasn't learning how things worked. And when I reached a turning point in my career, matter of fact, the reason why Jim probably turned you towards me because he knew I was going to say just this. Um, 
the way Jim taught me is the way I started to learn from that point forward after I met him. From from that probably that eight to ten year mark in my career is when he and I crossed paths and it changed my career forever because he taught me how to be a self-learner. Yeah. He allowed me to focus on components, how, how components worked, for instance. And I don't, I don't want to spend too much time talking on a, about a specific system or anything like that, but I'm just going to pick one that I, I frequently give an example of. You know, when, when I talk about components, I mean things that apply to everything, like inductive devices, like coils and relays and solenoids. These all work the same no matter what car, no matter what car we're faced with. They work the same on every car. How each one of those is controlled is different. So that's what Jim Morton always referred to me, uh, referred to to me as the 85-15% rule. He said 85% of all the crap that happens on cars happens on all of them. And that's because of the physics involved. And that's something you, myself, or Dave, none of us can change. It is what it is. Yep. You can't change it. Yep. And and that gives you the confidence to work on a Maserati or a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or even a little, you know, Kia Sophia. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. That's the 85%. However, the 15% is what we have to research. That's how things work, how the engineers design that component to work. In other words, we can make a spark with a two-wire coil. We can also do that with a three- or a four-wire coil. We can do that and get the spark adequately delivered to the cylinders with a distributor or a coil over plug, or we can implement OptiSpark, right, or, or uh, an old pole piece uh, ignition pickup. You know, all these things are designed as, as trigger mechanisms to create the spark. Um, you can read about that with good service information. So basically what I'm getting at is this. If we could focus our energy in our technicians, our up-and-coming technicians, sit them down and have a conversation with them and say, look, this is what I want you to focus on. Gaining the experience, the knowledge we need, the technical knowledge, having access to good service information, and purchasing the correct tools, and learning all the ins and outs about not only what that tool can do, but also what it cannot do, its limitations. Amen. What is Amen. there that you can't fix? An artificial heart, a motorcycle, a curling iron, a helicopter, uh, a Harrier jet. Re why can't we fix those things? If I have the service information, the technical know-how, and the tools to do it, is there nothing I can't fix? Uh, that's very true. Very true. So you bring up a, a topic, and I don't even know if you realized you were bringing up the topic, but I'm going to ask the question, should we be buying the technician's tools? And, and so... Look, here, here's my reasoning for this. Matt and I were talking a while back, and it was it may have even been in the podcast where we talked about the fact that the automobile has a limited ceiling as far as repairs, right? We reach a point when we're asking a client to invest in a repair in their vehicle that there is a threshold where they're going to look at that and say, uh, I think I'd rather just buy another car, Right. Now, it's not as low as it is in the appliance world, but the folks in the appliance world are paying their technicians more money. They're buying their tools. They're giving them a company truck, right? Like, I can only use that excuse for so long. Should we be buying? I mean, you're you're talking about 
an investment of thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. I I had a conversation with my insurance man a while back, and he said, you know, well, I've got you covered for forty thousand dollars for the tools in the shop. And I said, you better raise that just a touch, you know. <laughs> Like I can, I can count on four shelves, $40,000. Sure. And, and he was blown away. Well, should we be thinking about that as a potential with technicians moving forward? And how can an independent shop really do that? I mean, is that something a technician wants? Um, I, I don't think a technician would ever turn that down. And, you know, I had a really, really close friend that I haven't actually spoke with in a while really good friend of mine named Pete Rudloff. And Pete had this uh, way about him. He just did everything different than everyone else. And that's what I loved about Pete. He was scared of nothing. Nobody could tell Pete anything because he, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't mean it like he was cocky. I just mean Pete, Pete did his research and, and knew what he knew and set his mind to something and he just did it. And uh, one of the things he did uh, was, was take on a, a very young, intelligent young lady um, fresh out of school and took her under his wing at the shop. And she had just did absolutely phenomenal, fantastic, very hard worker, uh, put in the time, um, good at what she did, wasn't scared of anything. Pete, he, Pete gave her the confidence she needed to pursue what she had to do. And, and one of the things Pete talked about doing, and I'm not quite sure if he actually did it, but it was definitely in discussion, was that um, purchasing tools for the technician um, and growing the technician, making them happy so they wouldn't want to leave, paying them what they needed and investing the same time and energy um, he would want to invest in himself to grow himself as a knowledgeable and profitable technician. Um Asking questions like why would why would somebody want to leave? You know what I mean. If if you could eliminate those reasons why and make somebody happy, keep them happy, um, why would they want to leave? And I think that's an excellent way of looking at things. So to answer your question, to buy a technician tools, um, I think if you want a technician, especially nowadays, to work on cars, they're going to need the tools. You can't expect them. To buy the tools for uh, for a pay, and I'm just making up a number arbitrarily, for, for $10 an hour, whether they're hourly or flat rate or however you want to pay them, for $10 an hour when they can go work somewhere else um, and all they have to do is, is fill out an application and they have a job making the same amount of pay or more in some situations with no, I'll call it tool overhead, no reason to invest uh, in tools. They can save their money and spend it on what they what they like to spend it on. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's a tough call for me to make specifically because I'm, I'm not very business savvy, but I do think if somebody approached me as a young technician and said, look, dude, what's it going to take to make you happy? Here's what I, I, I see that you, you're on a path to learning. You know, you realize that you have to know how things work in general. You have to have the right tools and you have to learn how to use those tools to be profitable. If I could promise you all those things, and any kind of service information you could possibly need to solve a problem. Is there a reason you could see in the future that you'd want to leave? If you can make the money you need to make and be happy, my answer would be no. I'd love to stay in a facility like that. That's all I ever wanted. Right. You sound right. like a simple guy, though, Brandon. My, my techs don't want me to buy stuff for them. Um, well, some things. It depends. 
and and it's almost like they want their their independence. They, they want to have they want to own the stuff. I understand that, and and for me, um, nobody bought my tools either. You know something? Um, if I can circle back real quick to when I was moonlighting for a while, you know, earning that money at night, working hard during the day, but also working late at night to pocket some cash to to help myself get ahead a little bit with the little with the little girl on the way. Um, I took that money, and I remember at one point in time, fellas, I had a stack of twenty six thousand dollars cash in my sock drawer. And my wife looked at that, and, and she's like, wow, what are we going to do with that? I said, you're not going to be happy with what I'm going to say, but uh, I'm going to spend it all on tools. And she says, why? You're crazy. Why would you do that? You just saved, you know, for, for months, you know, a better part of a year. Why would you do that? And um, I told her, by me investing in these tools now, there's nothing to worry about. I can just keep doing what I'm going to do at a faster, more efficient pace. And, and at one point in time, when I keep buying these tools – um, I'm going to be so busy doing my, I'll call it my moonlighting work. It's almost going to be like a turnkey business. I can step away from my guaranteed paycheck because I'll now be earning more money working for myself. So um, I purchased all my own tools. I, I purchased all my expensive diagnostic equipment with, with my own money. And um, I, I don't regret it at all. It's changed my but there's career. There's a difference between that and the shop or the technician that buys the equipment because the shop won't. Well, that's, and we uh, see that all the time in the forums. They're they're buying their own training and they're buying their own Pico or whatever. And Hey, why, why are you dropping five or $6,000 on a fabulous e-scope? Nice, nice machinery, by the way. Um, uh, why won't the shop buy it? And you know, oh, my shop wouldn't buy that for me. I've asked. They they said no. <laughs> the thing is, I I think it's situations like that where the shop owner and and the technician needs to sit down and have a conversation. Um, clearly, when I see tech shop owners buy factory OE level scan tools. And and you gentlemen are shop owners, you know what what's your average? I I know they vary greatly, but what what what's your average run of the mill domestic factory scan tool capability cost you a year? A few oh. thousand dollars, right? Yeah, twenty five hundred yeah. bucks with 2, the with not with the subscription plus the, yeah. the scanner. I mean, I, I think that I think I even saw yesterday the latest and greatest all inclusive package with GM. I think is somewhere in the low to mid three thousand dollar range per year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, maybe that's an oversight, but my point is this, you see a value in that because I know if I buy that tool, I can handle GM and you know what? We do a lot of GM. Well, my point is this, that $3,000 one year subscription will only work for one year and it will only work on GM. That $3,000 lab scope will work for the rest of your life. If you don't damage it, hopefully on everything you could possibly imagine with an electrical impulse. So again, Show, the show sample the, rates get really low, slow, and <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you well, a story, Brandon. Um, so I have a tech named Brandon, and uh, he wanted uh, part of the, our agreement for him not to leave the shop was me buying him a scope. Like he had a, he had a snap-on scope, but he wanted a, a real scope, and he was deciding between the Pico and the E-scope. 
he ended up getting wanting the e-scope he's like i, I think e-scope's the right choice so somebody was selling one online and it was a hell of a deal and so i didn't ask i'm impulsive when i buy and so i'm like boom here i think it was like 2600 bucks i spent i sent him and i thought i was gonna get what i see online no he sent me almost everything but the actual scope itself is from 2007 it's like the old e-scope which works it works just fine unless you're on four channels then it slows way down so slow that it won't pick up uh small intricacies in fuel injector signature wave patterns Mm. which is what we were trying to diagnose i gotcha and my tech goes yeah, the problem's the scope. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's fine. You've been work using it this whole time. It works wonderfully. Look at this pretty touchscreen doodad I got you. Like, it's nice. And he's like, no, no. But once you have this thing on four channels, uh, it, it slows way down. And I'm like, it can't be that slow. And he's like, I think it's like 13 years old. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know that. And no, no crap. On the stupid box, it says 2007. <laughs> yep. That that was the, the limited version and was actually built for, for one thing, to analyze pressure waveforms, something much slower. But no, mm-hmm. I know what you mean, though. It, it, and, and that's a disappointment when you, you invest that money and you don't get what you anticipated. Uh, that's man, okay. We'll, we'll have to upgrade them later. That, that's one of the tough things is that, that, you know, especially when technology changes at the rate that it does. Yeah. From a shop owner perspective, right? You know, that's all. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, holy crap! Like, yeah, I yeah. get it. It's it's old, but it still works, kinda. Well, not really. Like, <laughs> n- not when you get deep into it, because it, you know he got he got he hit the brick wall. Like, he got to the point. It's like, hey, I kind of need not only not only does he need something faster, he needs more channels because he wants you know, he wants to be able to scope everything. So all at the same time, <laughs> so he can get them all like lined up with all the buttons and doodads that that thing. Does. Understood. I've, I've been down that road for sure. Oh Lord. Buttons can get expensive. On, David. Well, have you seen the thing? Like there's like, and he knows how to work it. Like, <laughs> you know, this is one thing he got mad at me about. He's like, you have to read the specs. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, you look up the model number and you read the specs before you buy it. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> they, listen, you got to take my side, Brandon. You're not helping me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what you what you've got to learn about David is is David doesn't read anything, right? Impulsive skim is the word. I skim. Yeah, yeah. Impulsive is the word we use for David here. Um, you know, it's very much. Oh, I like it. I'm just bought it I scan yeah i mean i just i don't read like he takes the time to read every word precisely as it's written <laughs> i don't i mean you know you get the gist and you move on <laughs> in this case you did not get the gist bro <laughs> well i should have stopped when the guy didn't take a picture of the actual scope he took a picture of the box the case took a picture of the surface which he he, he like he wanted to keep his old laptop so he was giving with this the old scope. He was giving the the uh, the surface that comes, but it's it wasn't the one that has the the um, scope attached to the back side of it, like that. Yeah, the little unit, the little box is square. Thought, yeah, little that, which is what I thought I was getting because I'm like, oh, this will be great. 
we don't have to have like like laptop and then you know a cart and all that junk there. Yeah, you, you probably should walk up to the thing and hooks up. I should have read the yeah. I should have read the specs. Yeah. <laughs> That's rough. I should have asked That's for the rough. model number. Can I see the model number, please? Oh, dude. Well, so you're gonna buy him another one though, right? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to now. I, like, I feel bad. I mean, he's getting he is he's getting really proficient with the software, and it, it amazes me what he's able to do with it and how much information he's able to extract. And I'm sure you, Dave, as a shop owner, can now see the value in him owning, or excuse me, him having access to a functional lab scope, something that's going to be capable, because that's that's going to solve most of your problems. Being able to, we had a lab scope. We've always had a lab scope. Like I was, my very first, my very first scanner when I first opened my shop was a Pegasus, and the reason I bought the Pegasus was it had a two-channel lab scope. Gotcha. And I wanted to be able to scope things and so that was the reason why i bought that and then we we went to a Verus pro but we use the lab scope consistently to you know current ramp and just like basics okay but it was a lot faster to diagnose it with the lab scope than it was to do anything else i could get like visual confirmation of the failure which was huge for me because we've always adopted pictures and things like that and being able to see it visually and then show the customer like that little squiggle is not supposed to be there. There's your failure. That that was priceless to me. And, and then we went to a Zeus, and we we still have the Zeus, but this is next level. Like, I don't think you could compare. It's a great beginner scope, the Zeus. I think if you're going to dabble in lab scope usage, go with the Zeus guided component. Uh, just for the guided component stuff. That I think that's fantastic. It, it at least gets you, especially if you're not getting any support from the shop or the shop owner, or you don't have a shop foreman or somebody that can guide you in, in scope usage and you want to dabble. I, I think that's a, it's a great starter, but you're going to, you're going to quickly listen. If you get into a- it, sh- sh- I'm trying to make a point here. If you get a hardcore into it, <laughs> you're going to get to the point where you're going to need something a little bit more sophisticated because the more you dabble, the more you'll realize I can extract a lot more information out of these wave patterns. If I have, some tools and you quickly run out of functionality in the Zeus. It just, it can't keep up. I mean, just like pressure, pressure wave patterns, right? The little, the little box that snap on has with their transducer, it's expensive, Sure, but it cuts the bottom of the, the pattern. Like it cuts the thing off and I'm like, I need to see that squiggle. Like what happened to my squiggle? What? That that's the first thing Brandon ever said to me was, you, you know that snap-on pressure transducer sucks, right? <laughs> I didn't know that. I had no idea. Like, my tech well, told me either. that, and he goes, yeah, that's what the snap-ons do. They cut off the bottom here. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I don't know what it is. We thought it was the 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 – he thought it was the box or maybe the transducer. I don't know. He thought it was either the box or the pressure transducer or one of the two. And so we bought a different one, and he hooked it up, and lo and behold, the stupid thing at the bottom is still cut off. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. So, you know, we went all ATS on that. And now he has beautiful patterns that he can put all the arrows and all the lines. And I don't even know what the hell it all does. But he gives me the information I'm looking for, which is all you really want as a shop owner, right? Or as a service advisor, you just need the information. See, that squiggle is not supposed to be there. That tells you, you know, your timing's off or there's something wrong with the exhaust camshaft. It's not in time. That's it. So, look. 
I, I don't mean to get off <laughs> off that topic. But I'm going to. I I I've been struggling with this conversation lately. Uh, Scundrich and Compton and me and David and a number of other people have been around and around on the subject. Brandon, hack shops and hack techs. What are we going to do about them? Who's to uh, blame for the demise of the industry? Is it the hack shop owner? Yeah. Or is it the hack tech? Well, um, I don't know many hack. Me personally, I don't know many hack shops. I have witnessed many hack technicians. And um, I can give you my own personal experience. Um, we all make mistakes. Things happen. You know, hopefully you don't make the same mistake more than once. If you do, not too many times more. <laughs> but, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has accidents. Everyone could be called a hack in a situation like that. It's whether we do it over and over again. And and for the, the wrong reasons. In other words, it wasn't an accident. It was carelessness. Um, I worked with a technician who was the former, or I should say, when I arrived at that shop, he was the go-to guy. Um. The guy that I just described, I was trying to be in that last situation. That's who he was when I got there, supposedly. And the gentleman was absolutely brilliant, but he stopped learning about 10 years ago. And when I say 10 years ago, 10 years at the time I was at that shop, 10 years before that. So he was excellent up to like year 2000. And after that, things started falling apart. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. He just stopped learning. Well, to, and I watched it day in and day out to compensate for his lack of ability or lack of knowledge. Um, he started to work faster and take shortcuts and then shortcuts became frustration and then it became rip and tear. And I'm talking about stuff like putting on, you know, a car comes in with a failed AC compressor and just slap it on a new compressor. Heck, not even oil bouncing the compressor, just putting it on, bolting it up, sucking it down, charging it and going. And the thing comes back hammering and there's metal everywhere and i mean he's done this many many times and that's just i'm not trying to call it any specific situation that's just the type of shortcuts i'm talking about real real careless careless work um cutting holes in floors to sneak fuel pumps out of (laughs) rather than i'm not kidding and welding them shut and we're not we're talking about nice cars. There's too. nobody Not, did. What are you talking I'm about? Are you serious? T- telling you, I witnessed. Like it. you see that in the in the um, it, what's the the Scotty Kilmer uh, yeah Facebook it, groups, but that was this was in a shop. <laughs> I'm telling you, I saw this happen. Now, the powers that be were not aware of this. I saw it. I'm like, what in the heck are you doing? I, I chose a few different words, but <laughs> you can imagine. Right. Oh, it'll be fine. I'll just weld it up when I'm done. They'll never know. And I, I talk about stuff like compromising structural integrity of a unibody. And like, you don't even think about things like this. You're just cutting holes to make your life easier. Well, it's it's moves like that. And And does the guy want to be a hack? No, he's a really nice guy and he wants to do a good job, but he's not making money if he's doing things the right way. So by by literally cutting things in half... Uh, he's saving time and, um, that's how he's trying to make his money. But the problem is these cars keep coming back and, and at some point, how can you even hide what, what's been done? How can you, how can you make things right? You know what I mean? When, when there's clearly a hole cut in the floor that's been welded shut, you know, like for goodness sake. So, um, 
I did it again. What was the question? Sorry. Well, no, I mean, is it is it the hack shop or is it the hack well, tech that's ruining Yeah, is it that industry? guy's well, fault that this industry is, it's is his uh, lacking fault. technicians? It's his whole fault for not wanting to get the training. I think it's the shop owner's fault because I know for a fact the shop owner, because I've talked to him about this. I said, look, this guy's not cutting it the way he's doing things. I mean, this is dangerous. Someone's going to get hurt. Uh, you're going to wind up in a lawsuit or, or buying somebody a car or something. And it's pretty much, you know, ah, don't worry about him. He'll be fine. Well, it got to the point where I then blamed it on the shop when stuff like this started happening. I was pulled aside and said, look, I need you to drop what you're doing. Go make that car over there that so-and-so worked on. Go make it right because the customer's really ticked off right now. And we got to get this done immediately. So I drop what I'm doing. I go right the wrongs. Three, four hours later, the car's working again and, and you know. I've lost half a day trying to fix his goof up, knowing darn well I'm going to get paid for it. Well, in the end, I didn't. And I said, well, what gives? Oh, well, you know, I can't pay you because I already paid him. I said, that's easy. (laughs) Take the money back out of his paycheck and pay me. That's not even – we're not even going talking about being unfair. That's that's expected. You don't think he expects to still get paid for that, do you? And and he said, you're darn right he does. So that happened once or twice, and it's it, it was about that time where I, I had put in my notice because there was no getting away from it. It was At that point, it became the shop owner's problem, not right. willing to face a problem. I was probably making them money. It, it was. It, out work. And, and that was bothering me, um, and that didn't sit right with me. Um, yeah. I certainly was not going to have it taken out of my end. you know, or, or, or cutting customers' discounts because you play golf with them. If you have a thousand dollar total job and you want to knock two hundred bucks off, you know, knock it off the bill, but don't knock it off the flat rate. Amen. And I'm Amen. telling you, I'd, I'd have a ten hour job that got knocked down to six and a half hours because he knows the guy. Uh, uh, yeah, you, as soon as you said that, I, I'm sitting in a class. This was a different coaching company, and I I remember the the coach specifically talking about shaving flat rate hours off of in in fact in fact as of i'll have to go back and see if i've ever like tweaked it i used to pay uh x amount of hours for a front brake service is what i call it right because we got to clean the pins and all that do that stuff and so i remember specifically going from where i was paying that person and you know just shaving off a couple of ticks because, you know, yeah, the tech was knocking it out in 45 minutes to an hour, and I was paying more than that. And, you know, hey, keep the price the same, but maybe shave off a couple ticks if once the technician gets proficient to allow you to be profitable on some of these other jobs where you kind of take, you know, get hosed yeah, on. I, I just... I'm not, I, of course, I'm speaking from a technician's perspective, but I don't think it's right. We agreed that I would do no, this job. No, it's wrong. Yeah. I, and- I totally did it. I totally did it. I remember the guy's face. I remember thinking, man, okay. I didn't, I didn't hesitate. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I, that at least pushed me to a profitable number on those front brake services. If they were able to get them done in 45 minutes an hour, I was going to make bank on those. But that was the reason why. <laughs> yeah. I just, plain and simple, if 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 you're taking it out of somebody else's end to line your pockets, I think it's wrong. 
I think yeah, there's a better absolutely. way of doing it. If if you got to raise your prices to make more money, then do that. At least it's up front to the customer and they're aware. But the technician agrees to do a job. Tell that technician before he starts the job that you're knocking 30% off. See how likely he is to get it done or, or, or want to do it. Don't tell him after he yeah. does it. That's what bothered me. I'd find yeah, out well, afterwards what happened to this 20-hour job that's now 14. Right. That That's shady. Right. I mean, that that's the only way you can look at that. And and, you know, the fact that we still have people who do stuff like that. And and I'll be honest, I think in, in many ways, a lot of that is, you know, we've said this in the show before. It it is not that some shop owners are evil. It's not that they're out to get somebody. It's that they struggle with profitability in the first place. They don't even know what their numbers are, right? Especially in independent shops. They don't know their numbers in the first place. They don't know if they're profitable or not. All they know is, is things are tight right now. It's really tough right now. I'm having a hard time paying everybody. They're looking for every opportunity they can get to kind of keep things afloat. Now, they don't realize, and, and you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's a system that works in this industry, right? There, there's a financial system that works. And if you'll work that system, you'll have money in your bank account, right? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you'll run the shop in a profitable manner, you don't have to worry about paying your technicians. But but for some reason, it seems like that's always the thing that gets cut first, right? Or the shop owner kind of looks at the tech and says, I'm not so sure. Maybe this comeback was your fault. Right. And, 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 you know, the tech, the conversation consistently comes up in ASOG. Well, he messed this up. Should I take it out of his paycheck? Hell no. You're the business owner. It's your responsibility. It's your liability. You're, you're making, you have the potential to earn more money, right? Because you're taking the risk. Don't you dare put that risk on that technician. That's not right, man. I would say this in a situation like that, I would expect the shop owner to come to me and say, look, there's an issue. Let's get it ironed out and figure out what went wrong. If it's your fault, great. Let's figure out how this doesn't happen again. The next time, if, you know, if it was a true oversight, okay, let's fix it. But if it's ignorance, you know, maybe the next time it's on you. I don't know. Just, I just think there's a better way of handling it than jumping the gun and saying, this is coming out of your paycheck. I, I, in, in my opinion, I don't think there's ever anything that should come out of a technician's paycheck. Now, now we have had little instances where somebody's backed into a car or something and they felt really bad about it. And they're like, look, I'm paying for this, right? I'm sorry. I don't care what you say. I'm paying for it. If if you don't let me pay for it, I'm going to take it and get it fixed right now. I'm paying it's for illegal it. illegal in Kansas. Right. Well, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. I, I, I don't ever let them pay for anything. I, I yeah. do my very best to make sure that doesn't happen because I, that's part of owning a business. I, um, uh, I backed into a same exact scenario. I backed into a car, um, accidentally. And, uh, the shop owner was obviously ticked off. Right. And I expected, I expected something. I expected, uh, at minimum to pay the, uh, pay the insurance deductible on it over time or, or something like that. You know, there would have been no argument there. You realize that man deducted $700 out of my paycheck once and done. Didn't ask me. Totally illegal. Just did it. That's I let it go. Crazy. But I mean, no warning. My paycheck was $700 short. So that, that's, that's the, I can, that's the, I guess the, the, one of the arguments that 
um, that we had, or at least I tried to make with Mario, and I think we did it with Cody as well, is like, you're obviously a top-level technician. Why put up with that? Well, I didn't. <laughs> I left after that. Um, you, you know, my... But you know there are technicians that, that put up with it. There, just, there will, and and I think it has a lot to do with with confidence, Dave. I think they don't feel they're any good, and not to say that I'm I'm trying to be cocky or anything like that. I don't think I'm above anyone else. I do know what I'm capable of producing for a shop, and I feel like I should be able to work with a shop so everybody's happy and profitable. I don't want to go to a shop to just make a paycheck. I want to go to a shop to be a solutions provider. I want to be someone, I, I want to be a valuable part of the team and I want to help others become successful too. Because I can tell you, I, I'll be honest with you, one of my goals, once I realized my potential and I, I started to be successful, I, I had a discussion with Jim Morton and I, I had said to him that, look, one of my goals, uh, my ultimate goal is to take a, a kid fresh out of high school, uh, wanting to enter the service technician world um, and and do what I did for myself for him in, in three to five years. Have him be, a, have him or her, be above and beyond where I'm at in capability and on the path to self-learning and improvement every day um, in, in less than five years. And I think it's very possible. That that truly is a goal of mine. That's what I wanted to do. So um, I, I never felt above anybody or anything like that. I just wanted to be a valuable player in the team. Right. Well, right. these these technicians need to get the confidence, though. They need to understand the, at least the state of the the industry. The, yeah. the market's theirs right now. And they, like somebody tried to pull that, the, the, any technician worth their salt should be able to know that. Hey, all I have to do is put some feelers out there, and I'll have another shop in a matter of days. All I have to do is jump on Facebook and say, "Hey, uh, I'm looking for a shop in this area." Like, yeah. you know, I own my own Pico, I own my own e-scope, you know, I, I buy my own training. That, that was the argument that I don't know who we made it. I made it with, it's like, that I should be their, their credential. Their credentials. Like I, I, I pay for my own training. You know, I pay for my own CTI subscription or whatever it is. That's enough. And there, there would be shop owners, you know, jumping over, uh, or tripping over themselves to get in front of that guy to, to hire him. I think if there are shop owners listening to what I have to say from a technician's perspective is this, um, I became a good technician when I became confident. Yeah. I became confident when I had the tools and the resources to perform the analysis to make the diagnosis. So what I'm getting at is if I had the tools and the information and you let me learn Right, you you provide a learning environment for me. Whether and and I mean paying for for classes, I am going to make that money back. If 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 I go to class and it's a hundred dollars, how fast am I going to make that back? Oh yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's a no brainer, and and something like we have nowadays. And I'm I'm not boasting CTI because I'm a CTI instructor, but we have a heck of a deal. I mean, ninety nine dollars a month and unlimited, unlimited, uh class attendance. You can see as many classes as you want for $99 a month in the comfort of your own home. And we're interactive. You know, we've got cameras, we've got, we've got microphones on, we've got chats and questions and answers and, and 
we're working on a whole bunch of new technology where where we can have switching devices or we have multiple cameras and we're interfacing scan tools via Bluetooth and, and everything. And that learning environment's phenomenal for, for a measly hundred dollars a month per technician. I think, uh, I think you'd be foolish not to capitalize on something yeah, like that. Oh, definitely. But I'm, I'm speaking to shop owners when I say, give your technician the ability to learn, let them, let them grow as technicians, grow them, invest in them, be part, be part of their team as they are part of yours, and, and they're going to want to stay. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. We have even more conversations coming your way from the most influential technicians in the industry today. So if you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to the ASOG.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and on YouTube. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy to use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to getshopware.com and see what I mean today. That's getshopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.